January 12, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. This is episode five of six in the series of student veteran uh, themed episodes that we're putting out this week, each and every day, Monday through Saturday. Monday, we talked to SVA President Jared Lyon. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we talked to Student Veteran of the Year finalists. Today, we have one more finalist, and then tomorrow, I'll release my interview with Chris Rolfe, who is the Student Veteran of the Year, uh, which was announced Saturday evening, this past Saturday evening. Today's interview is with Randy Dexter. Now, Randy's uh, Randy's interview had the longest runtime of the uh, of the seven finalists that I talked to, and I didn't want to shove a third. I didn't want any of the student veteran of the of the year finalist episodes to have three interviews. I, I wanted to stick to two, so that way, um, you know, the, the the episodes went wrong, run too long, and we got a chance to hear. Um, you know, from the veterans, and so uh, I, since with the longest runtime, decided to make Randy's um, today's uh, one interview. Randy talks to us about his time in the army, uh, recovering from a deployment, how we got his service dog, being a leader at UNLV, how they have helped influence uh, legislation there in Nevada, or at least how they've helped um, in, ma- ensure that Nevada incorporates the veteran voice in their decisions, uh, and much more. Uh, Randy Dexter, Army veteran, enjoy. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Uh, about four years ago, as I transitioned out of the military, people started asking me to share my story uh, about what I've been through with my time in Iraq, and I realized I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so I took a speech class, and yeah. I fell in love with it, and so I... I just finished. I started grad school in a week, um, studying a master's in public administration with a nonprofit management concentration. That's cool. These interviews, we start with the one thing that all of us veterans have in common, and that is deciding to join the United States military. Um, Bring us back to that decision for you. Uh, It it was Um, multi-pronged. My grandfather served in the Air Force, the Navy, and the Army, 82nd Airborne in the Army. Um, he was in the Korean Vietnam Wars. My dad is an Air Force veteran. Um, so I, I've always had that in my life. Uh, I knew that maybe someday that that was a possibility for me. Uh, I was 19 years old when 9-11 happened. My son, Levi, was born six weeks before 9-11. Uh, I'm from Las Vegas. I worked in hotels at the time, and about 10,000 people lost their jobs after uh, the planes hit nobody was traveling. Uh, we're a tourism-based industry, so uh, being a low man on total pole and an immature young man at the time, uh, those two things mixed together, uh, I lost my job and tried to make in things, uh, ends meet. Um, but then when uh, they said they needed people to serve, I decided it was the right time to do. So it was, it was a mix of patriotism, a uh, need to provide for my family, and uh, 
you know, income. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's a big motivator. Yeah. Yeah. To say the least. Um, tell me about a close friend or a great leader that you had while you were in the military. You can either either or, but tell me about that person. Well, I, I'm very privileged to be joined by that person um, today, which is uh, Colonel Mathis. Uh, she uh, is an audiologist in the Army. Uh, I went through her hearing class when I was a young specialist. And in between uh, my deployments to Iraq, uh, she was a great teacher, uh, was just really a uh, great leader, too, uh, made us feel welcome. Uh, taught me a lot, and when I came back from Iraq, I found out, uh, well, I got PCS to Fort Jackson, and uh, I found out that she was an OIC of a clinic there, so I emailed her, and uh, she made sure that I became the NCOIC of her clinic, and uh, for that first year, uh, I learned a lot from her. I learned how to uh, manage a clinic. I learned how to write evaluations. I learned um, a lot, and then uh, during the same time, I was dealing with symptoms of PTSD that I didn't have. I was drinking uh, a lot to cope and, and self-medicate. Um, so I asked her and uh, the Army for help, and she made sure that I got it. Uh, it was very tough after that. I went into um, inpatient uh, stuff. I uh, was thinking of taking my own life a lot, but she stood by me and she had my back um, up to this day, as you can see, many years later. That was April 2009, um, you know, and she's here with her husband, both of them actually, her and her husband, Tracy. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's really great to have people like that in your life. Absolutely. I, w I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the things she did. Yeah. So the name of the podcast is Born the Battle. And, you know, some, some veterans see literal combat. Others, there's, just, there's other sacrifices and adversities that they face while they're in. Um, give us an example of something like that and how you dealt with it. Uh, so all of my problems really stem from one day in Iraq. Uh, it's April 5th, 2005. I was a combat medic in the United States Army. Uh, we were on a mission. Uh, our mission was escorting people wherever they needed to go in Baghdad, making sure they got there safely, protecting them while they were there, and making sure they got back to the base. Um, and we had just left our, our FOB, and a very large IED went off. Uh, luckily, the only injury for uh, my squad uh, was the lead gunner and fractured his, his forearm. Um, but unfortunately, there were three Iraqi civilians driving on the opposite side of the highway. Uh, who were severely injured. Um, the driver ended up dying even after everything I did. That day I held a lot of guilt for that, uh, even though I know now, after lots of years of therapy, that if I was here in San Antonio with some of the greatest trauma centers in the world, uh, there would be nothing that they could do. Um, so, But I, I held on to that, and I, I left. Uh, I went back to the base that night and started drinking, and that was just the routine after that, uh, nightmares, all that stuff. Uh, so that, that's something that still sticks with me, but I use that experience now not as uh, something to hold me down, as something hopefully to motivate others going through the same thing to uh, know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and great things can happen. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So what prompted your transition out then? Uh, I, I, so uh, I, w I, was, I spent my last 14 months uh, in the hospital. Um, I had gotten another TBI uh, playing flag football of all things at an MWR event. Um, someone landed on me, knocked me out for 24 hours. I don't remember anything. And after 24 that, hours? Yeah, Holy yeah. smokes. Uh, yeah, it, it, I don't remember. It's still to this day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, after that, I got really, really sick physically um, on top of all the symptoms of PTSD. That forced a relapse in drinking um, to the point to where I tried to attack my wife one night in a drunken stupor. Luckily, she called the MPs. 
uh, before I could do anything, and, and that, that sent me back into the hospital this time for 56 days. Um, and while I was there with all the medications I was taking, I got a blood clot, I got hemiplegic migraines, all kinds of different things. Um, so they sent me to uh, Balboa Hospital uh, to be med boarded. So that was the transition. But I'm, I am seriously so grateful for that transition because uh, we were about 30 to 40 people. Uh, there were amputees, soldiers, I mean young, some of them my family now. I ended up getting ordained and uh, officiating uh, a wedding for them. Um, but the, the staff that they had there really made sure that we transitioned. I had a team of doctors to make sure that I got healthy. I had an um, education specialist that taught me the importance of public schools compared to uh, predator schools, uh, uh, getting uh, regionally accredited schools. I had uh, employment transition people teaching me how to write not only uh, regular resumes but federal resumes. Uh, you know, mentors, all kinds of amazing things that, that people are still there for me today and it's been over four years since I got out. So uh, I, I think I have a very unique uh, transition story and uh, I'm, I, I count my blessings every single day for, for that experience. Yeah, absolutely. So you see, you just recently graduated, right? Yeah, two yeah. weeks ago. That's yeah. awesome, congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, were you, you were the, the chapter leader um, yeah. at UNLV? So yeah, I've been the president since uh, about a week before coming to NatCon last year. Okay. Um, I've done it the, this past year, and it's been by far one of the most rewarding and most challenging years of my life. Um, and I, I tell people I hope I never get to mention it because I don't ever want to forget the experiences that I had this past year. Uh, something that I will cherish forever. So tell us about, tell us about an accomplishment that you had uh, as, as chapter leader. Well, uh, it's not an accomplishment I had. It's an accomplishment uh, we had as a collective. Uh, it was a great group effort. Uh, in Nevada, uh, the legislative session happens every other year, and it only happens for 120 days. So this year it happened from, um, I think, February, January to, to May, the, the spring semester. Uh, we championed three legislative bills. One would uh, require the state to add a student veteran and a woman veteran to the governor's uh, veteran advisory council. Uh, it passed. Uh, another, so the Fry Scholarship, uh, stu uh, students, children of fallen service members uh, in combat, they get their parents or spouses GI Bill. Uh, in the state of Nevada, for federally, you get three years of in-state tuition. Say someone in New Jersey wants to go to school at UNLV. Uh, they'd get three years. Nevada grants two extra years for, for veterans. Um, but I have daughters who are seven and four years old. Uh, if they go to college in three years from now, that's pretty amazing, but I highly doubt that's gonna happen, right? So um, not to say that they wouldn't get the in-state tuition because of whatever, but there was no guarantee. So the state now requires uh, that a Fry Scholarship recipient will have in-state tuition no matter when they wanna go to school. That's one, and then another one was Senate Bill 457, which was written in our organization. Uh, I'm a combat medic. When I came to uh, UNLV, I got 11 transfer units for my military experience, none of which was medical training. It was for PE, it was for uh, leadership, uh, and that's a problem that should not happen. Taxpayers paid money uh, initially for that training. Why should they have to pay it again for the GI Bill? Why should we, who have already learned those experiences, have to waste our time? I'm 35, I got kids, I don't have time to be doing that stuff over again. Uh, and that was also another instrument, uh, or mental reason why I didn't pursue medicine, because I was just like, I, I already know, why am I gonna go through it again? Um, 
So we wrote a bill that would require uh, the Nevada State of Higher Education to uh, work with the American Council on Education to award appropriate credit uh, for military training, education, and experience. Uh, we fought very hard. This is the one that we're most proud of because it came from us. Uh, we went to hearings uh, time and time again. We traveled to Carson City. We met with every single state legislator. Uh, we were able to get a sponsorship uh, in the Senate and the Assembly. Um, so bicameral, bipartisan support. Uh, we were there when some of the bills were elected, uh, voted on. Uh, AB 24, which was the Fry Scholarship, voted unanimously, approved. And then the governor, Brian Sandoval, came to UNOV and he signed the bill right there in front of us. Uh, so that's an accomplishment that uh, we are extremely, extremely proud of. Um, it's hopefully something that will affect generations uh, for, for years to come. Absolutely. So tell us about uh, a challenge that you've had um, with, your, with your chapter, whether that's outreach, par participation, working with the university, something that, uh, that you've had to, had to deal with. It has to do nothing with those things, okay. to be honest. Sure. Uh, I'm from Las Vegas. Uh, I, I grew up there. It's a part of who I am. Uh, my environment has molded me to be the person I am today. I joined the Army not only to protect the Constitution and the reasons that I said earlier, but to protect the freedoms uh, that my city and my state guarantee that you don't get anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, I had, a, I had an intent to serving to hopefully never let what happened in New York or Washington DC happen in my city and unfortunately that did this year, October 1st, uh, with the mass shooting that happened. Uh, it was very challenging uh, for many reasons. Uh, we had people at the concert, my family for some, uh, friends that I've known since elementary school. Uh, you know, 58 people lost their lives and almost 500 others were attacked. Uh, we didn't know at the time what happened or who would be injured. Uh, luckily, no student veterans uh, or any other students. Uh, a, a hockey coach for the university was injured. He was shot. Uh, maybe a couple people from Nevada State. Um, but we have built a great veteran uh, network, uh, not only on campus, but in the community and throughout the state. By 7 a.m. in the morning, uh, we had a Facebook group uh, we knew exactly where the blood donation drives were. We knew what supplies were going to be needed. We knew where uh, to take those supplies. Uh, and the university relied heavily on us to uh, get those supplies, those, those resources where they needed to go and push it out to the rest of the students, uh, which is over 30,000 people. Yeah. Uh, so that, that challenge. And then later that night, we had a candlelight vigil uh, they asked me to speak first. Uh, I've only been to one candlelight vigil before that, and that was the night of 9-11 at, at UNLV. Uh, I will never forget that night. And I try to tell people uh, there's a reason that there are 30,000 people call UNLV home. There's a reason that 40 million people a year visit Las Vegas. There's no place on the planet like it. Uh, by 3 a.m., there, there were people around the block uh, waiting to give blood. Uh, when we went to go take two truckloads full of supplies, I'm talking U-Haul sized trucks, uh, we couldn't take them to five different places because they were so full. Uh, <laughs> that's what I love about this country. And uh, it was a huge challenge, to be honest, because um, it's my home, you know? It's people that I love. Uh, Las Vegas is, um 
not my home, but one that I have great affinity for um, as a someone who enjoys the things that Vegas offers that other uh, other states yeah. can't. Uh, though New Jersey's trying, yeah. <laughs> New Jersey's trying. Um, and I know a lot, us in the recreational gambling community, you know, even though it's not home, felt that same, like, like we felt like we were part of the community that got attacked, even, even at afar. Um, and I know that there was, a, uh, there was a handful of guys that went to um, um, Mandalay Bay later that week and organized this large, like, crap session I guess like the pit boss just had like this emotional moment because like no one was gambling at yeah. the at, at Mandalay Bay. They they were sending people home early. They were saying that people's like they were already concerned that people weren't going to be able to pay their bills because just no, expected income just dropped with with lower tip revenue. Um, and so they brought in 20, 30 people into this craps pit and played for hours, spent more money on tips probably than, uh, than anything. And like, the, I guess the pit boss just had this moment of like, oh, this is so incredible. Um, and it's that, and then I remember the night of the shooting, this is the power of social media, right? I remember that, the, the meme that came out, here's where you need to, need to go to uh, donate blood. Every you know major city in Nevada was listed there, and I remember by the morning they were like, "We can't, we can't accommodate anymore." You know, it's it's I've mentioned this before. It's it's so amazing. It's so amazing that um, you know after after a city faces tragedy, we always put the tag strong on it, like Orlando strong, Boston strong, Vegas strong. It's kind of disappointing that we wait for a tragedy to recognize how strong we are as a community. I think Vegas was definitely a, a great example of that. For, for the other student veterans that are out there, especially the ones that are, that are uh, leading efforts on campus for the veterans group, um, what would you say is a best practice for like outreach and, and engaging with veterans on campus? Uh, uh, PAVE, Peer Advisors uh, for Veteran Education. It's a program at the University of Michigan. UNLV was one of the first 10 pilot pro schools to do it, and we've done it for a few years now. Uh, it is great. So when a student comes in, uh, a student veteran comes to campus, they're paired up with uh, someone like myself who's been on campus for a little while, knows where the writing center is, knows where uh, all the resources are, uh, not only on campus, but in the community. We've helped homeless vets, we've helped uh, so many people, um, and, and it's all because of the PAVE program, and we can identify when students are having a problem. So if there are leaders, they don't have PAVE, or if they are, and they do have it, uh, and they're not a PAVE peer mentor, I, I highly suggest doing that. Um, and it also holds you as a mentor accountable, because if you're uh, trying to advise other student veterans on how to succeed on campus, you, you, know, you kind of got to lead by example and do, do that same thing, uh, which is another aspect I really enjoyed about it, is it really, it really made me uh, be the part that I'm trying to preach, you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I love the PAVE program. I, I'm, I'm very uh, grateful for it. I, you know, in my experience being in the hospital and all the things that I did, having peers who are going through similar experiences, uh, whether it be uh, trauma, survival, or uh, getting a degree, yeah. it helps. Uh, it, it helps a lot. Uh, when I was in the hospital, for instance, and I saw people who are now where I'm at, it uh, gave me hope. Um, and and I, when I was a new student, uh, and I saw student veterans who who are gray like me with uh, more amazing beards than I have, uh, getting their degrees, uh, I was like, man, that can be one me one day, and, and here I am, you know, two weeks later after graduating, so. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, I, I love that program, and uh, I hope every university uh, embraces it. Yeah. Um, what's, um, what's something that you learned um, in the military, maybe an experience that you had that you feel is contributing to your success today? I live every day by the warrior ethos. I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit, and I will never leave a fallen comrade. I live by the seven army values of loyalty, uh, hold on, duty, respect, <laughs> selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. Uh, those, those, those two things, uh, they try to guide me every day. I'm so grateful for learning them from my very first day in the Army, uh, saying them in formations countless times when I'm tired and I want to go home, you know. Uh, they guide me every day uh, that I try to live by that. Um, there's days when I definitely want to quit, but I know that if I do that, there's consequences to that, you know, or, or uh, my children that are relying on me. Uh, they need me to be up every day to do those things and, and lead an example for them to hopefully fulfill their dreams one day. So uh, I'm so grateful for the Army for teaching me those lessons. Yeah. Give me, uh, last question, give me a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with, aside from SVA, um, that has you excited about what they're doing right now? Canines for Warriors. Canines for Warriors. Yeah. So uh, under the table right now is my service dog captain. Mm -hmm. uh, He's been instrumental. He has two degrees, just like me, an associate's and a bachelor's. Uh, Canines for Warriors is uh, the largest national uh, service dog organization for PTSD and TBI. They're based out of Ta Jacksonville, Florida, um, and they are just amazing. I got captain in August 2014 and uh, literally came home after my three weeks of training and went to school, and he's been there with me every single day, uh, walking across the stages as commencement speaker is doing all the, the great things in the Carson City in DC on Capitol Hill meeting people. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do. Uh, I wouldn't be able to have a clear mind to be off of the mind doping medications that I was on if I didn't have Captain and the help from uh, Canines for Warriors. Wonderful. So. Randy, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so Thank much you for, for your doing service this. to our country you and your, your continued service to veterans over there at, uh, in, in Las Vegas. Can I say one last thing? Of course. About, about that, so General Casey just gave an amazing speech and he said, uh, I'm gonna leave you with this. I'm an American veteran. I'm proud to have served my country and I'm not done making a difference. I think that's very vital to student veterans everywhere. I, I, I love that quote. I'm gonna say it all the time from here on out. So. Good, I talked to General Casey this morning. He's a fantastic human being. I agree. I served with him and got to go on missions with him in Iraq. So. We all come together and stand together to serve our veterans. We invest in the latest technology. We take the time to train the next generation of doctors and nurses. We work together to make sure we heal their bodies and their minds. This is our mission. More than 300,000 of us working as one, together with families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll be there. We stand strong, united. Stand with us in caring for our veterans. Congratulate Student Veterans of America on their Founders Day, which I believe was yesterday, uh, January 11. Uh, Ten years in the business, supporting student veterans, decade of service. It's amazing. Um, and as we've as we've learned, student veterans outperform uh, their their peers that did not serve in the military in several ways: uh, GPA, uh, graduation success rate. Income disparity, uh, you know, veterans ha are getting the best of that versus their peers that did not serve in the military. A lot of ways that student veterans are, are, are 
proving that our return on investment uh, is well worth it. So congratulations to SVA on uh, on a decade of serving veterans and, and helping our student veterans uh, succeed uh, in, as they use their education benefits and GI Bill to, uh, to achieve higher education. Today's Medal of Honor citation reading. Um, sometimes I try to choose these in a theme. Other times it's just sort of random. With today's feature interview being with Randy Dexter, I was curious if there was anybody by the name of Dexter uh, with a Medal of Honor. And sure enough, World War II, U.S. Army veteran, rank of private first class, Dexter Kerstetter. Uh, so first name Dexter. He was with Company C, 130th Infantry, 33rd Infantry Division. This was uh, awarded in uh, the year of honor was 1945. Again, this was in World War II. Citation reads, He was with his unit in a dawn attack against hill positions approachable only along a narrow ridge paralleled on each side by steep cliffs which were heavily defended by enemy mortars, machine guns, and rifles in well-camouflaged spider holes and tunnels leading to caves. When the leading element was halted by intense fire that inflicted five casualties, PFC Kerstetter passed through the American line with his squad. Placing himself well in advance of his men, he grimly worked his way up the narrow steep hogback, meeting the brunt of the enemy action. With well-aimed shots and rifle grenade fire, he forced the Japanese to take cover. He left the trail and, moving down a cliff that offered only precarious footholds, dropped among four Japanese at the entrance to the cave, fired his rifle from his hip, and killed them all. Climbing back to the trail, he advanced against heavy enemy machine gun rifle and mortar fire to silence a heavy machine gun by killing its crew of four with a rifle fire and grenades. He expended his remaining ammunition and grenades on a group of approximately 20 Japanese, scattering them and returned return to his squad for more ammunition and first aid for his left hand, which had been blistered by the heat from his rifle. Resupplied, he guided a fresh platoon into position from which a concerted attack could be launched, killing three hostile soldiers on the way. In all, he dispatched 16 Japanese that day. The hill was taken and held against the enemy's counterattacks, which continued for three days. PFC Kerstetter's dauntless and gallant heroism was largely responsible for the capture of this key enemy position, and his fearless attack in the face of great odds was an inspiration to his comrades in their dangerous task. We honor his service. That wraps up episode 77. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you will come back again tomorrow to listen to my interview with Chris Rolf, Air Force veteran and student veteran of the year, as we wrap up our week of student veterans here at Born the Battle. I'll see you then. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.